Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching there is a rich man who is dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate lay a poor man named lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he lifted his, up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and said, Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so they will not also come to, into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Freya. All right, you guys. Whew, this passage. Nothing like some fiery torment to get us excited about the word of God. Right? Am I right? All right. Um, so we're going to do a little all play. And here at Genesis, an all play is where we hear from all of you out there. Um, when you hear this passage or when you read it in your liturgy, what feelings does it evoke in you? Or what thoughts spring to mind? How do you feel when you hear these words? Judgment. Judgment. Okay. So awesome that everybody's like, yes. <laughs> Just feeling super good about myself. <laughs> yeah. So when you hear this story or read it in your liturgy, what feelings does it evoke in you? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. <laughs> glad, glad we're preaching on it here so we can discuss what it means, yes. Oh, you guys, 
I get, <laughs> I get like four tech. We use the, the lectionary. So on any given Sunday, we're, all re, we're connecting with all of the other um, churches who also use the lectionary to be studying a similar passage, right? So there's a great connectivity with that. It also means that sometimes your four passages are, are rough, my friends, rough. Um, so I looked at this as an invitation into let's look at this not oft preached on passage in scripture. Because you know what? Stories like this make me very uncomfortable. I find the concept of fiery torment or hell is it's super troubling to me. I don't feel, it doesn't feel theologically cohesive. It's a terrible image to teach to somebody, especially to kids, which I imagine is where many of us were first exposed to the idea of hell, right? And I kind of find that using this idea of how to escape um, an afterlife of torment is this really terrible sales pitch, right? For why you should want to follow Jesus. So I used to work in Christian bookstores growing up, and I sold a lot of t-shirts and bumper stickers that asked people if they had fire insurance. And every time I thought, oh, wow, I'm so... <laughs> is, that, is that the Jesus that I'm, that I'm super excited about following? But theological problems and cringeworthy slogans aside, the story also makes me feel uncomfortable because it's a, it's a strong word of instruction, potentially, right? And then I, I just kind of sit with the text in irritation or shame or I kind of ignore it. Um, sometimes it gives me this overly pious sense of myself because, you know, I gave the guy in the corner five bucks, so I'm feeling really morally superior to everyone, right? It's also uncomfortable to teach on because I know that I usually tune sermons like this out, right? Um, in large part, because the preacher often ends up telling you, like, you're bad if you shop at Target or if you have a savings account. Um, money and morality surrounding money are uncomfortable topics sometimes. So let me start this morning with a baseline of welcome and love. I'm not going to scare you with notions of fiery torment. I'm not going to shame you for how you spend your money. As I sat with the text this week, as I, as I do when I preach, I like to read a lot of reflections of people who are far, far wiser than I. I like to listen to the Holy Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit brings to the surface of my thoughts. And I kept coming back to this story as a story of invitation to see others in a new way, to live with more open hands, and to experience the joy of sharing resources so that we could all flourish together. Our portion of scripture today is a parable. It's a simple story used to illustrate a moral lesson. Jesus often spoke in parables um, to his disciples and those he taught, and I love parables because I just love stories. But with any illustration, if you try and push it too far, it starts to kind of lose the imagery, loses its purpose. So let's just kind of like settle back in and see what the text is telling us, what it isn't telling us, and not try to press too hard on some of these elements. There's a familiar formula in here, one that many scholars connect to Egyptian tales during the same time period, because it uses the structure of two worlds, the earthly world that we know and the afterlife or the beyond. It also paints two worlds of kind of the haves and the have-nots. And these are two very stark contrasts that Luke provides. So there's this man living this luxurious life. Purple clothing was often the rarest and most expensive because it was such a difficult process to obtain the dye. And he feasts sumptuously every day. I think the word sumptuously might fall in that word category of a juicy and delicious, and likely you'll never hear me say it again. So that was your one time. 
By contrast, we have Lazarus, who's the epitome of suffering. A starving man lying on the street outside someone's home, covered in sores, tended to only by the dogs who lick his wounds. Which Freya said, ew, too, when I told her about it earlier this week. She's like, that's so gross. And the story continues in the parabolic role reversal afterlife as well, when both men die. And it's interesting that we read that the rich man dies and is buried. So we know that he probably had resources and people that tended to him, that cared enough about him to give him a proper burial. Lazarus dies and is simply carried away without noting any care taken for his earthly form. Perhaps his death was as his life was, overlooked and forgotten. By using the name Lazarus, which is short for Eleazar, it means God helps. Jesus then clues his listeners in that regardless of the man's miserable condition, God is still on his side. The second set of stark imagery shows the first man desperate for even the smallest drop of water set against the image of Lazarus, who is now shown to be embraced by Abraham. The chasm between them is great, not unlike it was when they were both alive. So the rich man begs Father Abraham to send Lazarus to give him relief, which kind of as an aside feels like the rich man maybe didn't quite get the point of the role reversal because he doesn't have repentance or remorse. He just simply wants Lazarus to be dispatched like a servant to aid his time of need. He didn't notice Lazarus as he went through his gates every day, but now he sees him only when he's the man who has something that he wants. And there's some debate by interpreters and scholars on what is happening in this text. Is it a moral story telling us about the dangers of wealth? Is it communicating something to us about the afterlife that we should take note of? Is it a story to show the reversal that comes when God's kingdom is here? I'm going to say I don't think this parable is about the afterlife at all, but it's instead about this one. The dramatic use of a vision of the afterlife is the storytelling device by Jesus to communicate the importance of seeing and acting compassionately in this life. I'm curious if Luke had an intention for the audience to find themselves as a particular character in this parable. Were they to feel chastised to change their minds and change their ways and notice the suffering folks in their midst? Was this an attempt to comfort them as people who could find solace in the embrace of Father Abraham one day? Or perhaps the audience was intended to see themselves in the role of the five brothers. The rich man had brothers and he hoped that Father Abraham would send Lazarus to appear to them, to warn them. And it, we could imagine hearing Abraham's response in a variety of tones this week. Was it too late, you had your chance? Or was it really fatalistic that, you know, they're never going to change their mind? Or was it God sent you the Moses and the prophets and your brothers have been given those signs? As the audience here, we get to stand in the place of the five brothers, I think. We can hear the words of Moses and the prophets. We can read the words of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourself. We can see the work of Jesus, whose death and resurrection becomes the ultimate sign that God helps. I don't see this text as a roadmap for what happens when we die, like get it right or you're going to burn in hell. Instead, it's giving us an invitation to experience the kingdom of God right here and right now, through every moment of seeing one another, 
through every act of living generously with those we encounter every day. This parable gives us the opportunity to turn from choices that might separate us from the goodness of God that he has for us when we care for others. When I was 16, I went on this mission trip to serve the inner city. I say serve. The small town in Iowa I grew up in didn't prepare me for what I, had, I was going to encounter in an urban setting. And I say serve because in reality, I accomplished nothing on this trip. No one really needed a bunch of high schoolers to come in and clean a classroom or volunteer to shelter with kids, right? Or at least it would not have been necessary to bus us in from Iowa to do so. I brought nothing to the table at that experience, but at the time I was convinced I was part of this necessary revival of the city. On our day off, we went to Water Tower Place on Magnificent Mile to go shopping you know, during our free time, which again, Feels like really absurd planning. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I was just a kid. I, you know, it feels crazy because we're serving food at soup kitchens. We're at Cook County Jail. We're serving kids in homeless shelters. And here we are all with our pocket money because we're super pumped to go to Bath and Body Works and get an Orange Julius because, you know, we didn't have those in our town. Right, sister? We didn't have those in our town, but that's what we wanted. But before we got to the mall, we had to literally walk over homeless people and people who um, were suffering in, on the sidewalk. And I just couldn't do it, right? I just, I couldn't do it. Even at 16, even in my excitement about some freesia body spray from Bath and Body Works, I just couldn't do it. Because I stood on that sidewalk and I watched these people rush by in suits, carrying shopping bags, moving along to their destination. Well, in front of us, a man is literally curled up on this cardboard square. And seeing the juxtaposition of those who were suffering and those ignoring the suffering was just too painful for my 16-year-old brain to process. So no, there was no orange Julius for me that day. And yet with time, I found myself doing the same thing, desensitized to the, to the suffering of others. And I learned to do the things that would keep me emotionally distant from people who were needing something. I avoid eye contact. I definitely check my phone at a stoplight, even though I'm not supposed to look at my phone when I'm driving. But I look at my phone at a stoplight. I often judge the motives of the person in front of me. I will do anything to distract me from the moment when another person is need, in need and I could do something to alleviate the suffering. And perhaps that's why this is a difficult text for me, because being an ordinary apprentice of Jesus, like we say we are here, being able to see another person and know their flourishing is important to God, that requires something of me. And I often choose not to see. So when I do that, I'm letting that chasm build between me and God's humanity, between myself and the kingdom of God in my midst. Reverend Joanne Taylor says, the gap in the story of the rich man and Lazarus isn't between heaven and hell. The gap is between what God asks of us and what we actually do with what we have. The gap is the one we create between ourselves and others whenever we think we're, when they are worth less and we are worth more. Being an ordinary apprentice, apprentice of Jesus means we earnestly consider the state of our heart, the assumptions and the judgments we make about others. And we consider if Jesus is inviting us into a different way of seeing one another. 
Are we being invited into a more expanded way of knowing one another, of sharing with one another, of knowing that our flourishing is tied up with the flourishing of our neighbors? Or to use the African word Ubuntu, or I am because of you. Desmond Tutu writes, this word Ubuntu says, my humanity is caught up, inextricably bound in yours. You see, our flourishing is tied up with one another. As much as sometimes our cultural narratives may say that we are only individual entities, I think we find time and time again that's not so. We're born into communities with histories and traditions and systems and institutions. The health of each of us, the health of these systems, the health of our communities, I suspect, are far more interlinked than we can possibly imagine. The rich man could have made an immeasurable difference in the life of Lazarus. To feast every day, to wear the finest of linens, he probably could have easily made a small gesture to the man outside the gate. Reverend David Lose writes, before you have compassion for people, you have to see them. Acknowledging their presence, their needs and their gifts, and above all their status as children of God worthy of respect and dignity. The rich man first needed to simply see Lazarus' humanity and the image of God within him. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor and liberation to the oppressed. And when we place things above people, we are poor in spirit. Jesus came to liberate us from that. When our desire to revel in our good fortune keeps us from really seeing people in our midst who have needs, we are the ones that are bound up by our choices. Jesus came to liberate us from that. When we fail to see another human in need, the chasm widens and we are further from experiencing the kingdom of God in our midst. And Jesus came to liberate us from that. Theologian Bruce Epperly says, God called the rich man to a simple spiritual practice that would have changed everything and awakened him to a new reality of connection and compassion. To pause, to notice, to open to stretch and to respond in personal and community life. What do we miss spiritually when we turn, from some, turn away from someone else's pain? What depths emerge for us when we employ empathy instead? It requires us to pay attention to the world around us. It requires us to pause, to sometimes inconvenience ourselves and to extend Christ's love to the world. If we imagine ourselves as the rich man's sibling in this text, how might we consider, reconsider the ways that we engage with and see others? And this looks different for each of us, which is why there's no blanket statement of, if you do this, you are terrible. We've all been gifted in different ways. We've all, we all encounter people in different ways. We all have resources in different ways. Perhaps you might investigate what mutual aid looks like in your neighborhood. Or perhaps you can be involved in big-scale efforts to dismantle systems of oppression. What does our responsibility to one another look like in day-to-day -day life? Perhaps it's simply looking someone in the eye and acknowledging their humanity. Perhaps it's advocating on their behalf to others. Pastor Meta Herrick Carlson said, the call is not to save the world, but to love it well and behave generously like all of it is worth saving. Might we consider how our action and our inaction create suffering for others and ask for God's guidance on how to alleviate it? Where is the Lazarus at our gate?
the one whose name is God helps, the one who is created good and carries in them the image of the divine. And finally, from Walter Brueggemann, this prayer. The news is that God's wind is blowing. It may be a breeze that cools and comforts. It may be a gust that summons you to notice. It may be a storm that blows you where you have never been before. Whatever the wind is in your life, pay attention to it, and the blessing of God, Son, and Spirit will abide with you always. May this week we invite the Holy Spirit to expand our vision and see one another as our Creator sees us. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.